0: Started here, if you want to go ahead and take your seats and if you're out in the lobby, come on in. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. So I'm Vicki Kersnay. Nice to see you all. Uh, What an excellent teaching done by Heather. Uh, And I'm excited to see, you know, you're preparing these messages and you're kind of doing them all at the same time. So to get them to weave together and how they're going to thread together. And I go, we have to leave a little bit of that up to the Holy Spirit. So um, I trust him. This is good. Hey, by the way. If you don't go to this church, if you came with a friend, or maybe you were here at Easter um, visiting um, and you heard the invitation to come tonight, would you raise your hand if you're a visitor? We're not going to make you do anything weird. Awesome. Awesome. Yay, give them a hand. And the other thing I want to do before we get started. If you are a small group leader, whether you're a women's group leader or a mixed group or a specialty, whatever it is, would you just stand for a moment? The reason, go, go for it, give them a round of applause. And stay standing, stay standing. The reason I wanted them to stand is they play such a key role in this church because we are so large. If you don't get connected in a small group, it is, it is so difficult to get in relationship with people on your own. So take a look at these women, okay? This is just some of our leaders. Uh, there are cards out on the wall. I would encourage you, if you are not in a small group, make sure you get involved in one. And I would encourage you, if you've never attended one, sometimes it can be scary and you're like, oh, they're gonna, what are they going to make me do? Are they going to make me read scripture and I don't know how to pronounce all those names? It's okay, I don't either. I have to look them up and I usually do it wrong anyways. Um, but Connect with them tonight and just ask them questions. Or if you don't have time tonight, we have a breakfast at 8.15 in the morning. Ask them if you can meet them for breakfast and just talk a little bit about small groups, okay? Okay, thank you, leaders, I love you guys. Okay, so, oh. The title of my message tonight is A Life of Dependence and we're gonna be looking at the story of David and Goliath. But first, I want to share a story with you, something that I have been struggling with recently. A few weeks back, I started to experience severe swelling and pain in both of my legs, from my knees down to my toes, like ankles. Couldn't see bones, they were so swollen, just everything gone. Um, It was extremely painful. Because I don't have a primary care physician, Um, I was left with a lot of great concern and little options. I didn't know what to do. And as I lay awake in bed one night, before my husband Derek was getting ready to go on a week-long trip, I began to worry. And I'm not a worrier. But I was going through the what-ifs. While he's gone, what if I need to go to the ER? Worse yet. What if I need to call the paramedics in the middle of the night? Um, We have two young daughters. We don't have family living very close by. Um, So I was trying to create a plan of action, because that's what I do. I'm organized. That's one of my gifts. I just love to do it. But I was feeling out of control, and I didn't know what to do. By the grace of God, I got connected with a doctor, and he said he would see me immediately, which was wonderful. And they ordered all kinds of blood work. Everything came back clean, and they checked so many things. So I'm like, okay, great. They did ultrasounds on my legs to make sure I didn't have blood clots. They're all clean. And though I celebrated all of that was clean, but at the same time, I went, I don't have a diagnosis. We don't know what's causing this. So long story short, I'm still dealing with the symptoms, and I'm undiagnosed today. So you might see me sometimes limping a little bit or moving a little um, a little uh, awkwardly, we'll say. Um, but that's not the point of my story. The point is, who did I turn to in my distress? Who did I turn to in my anxiousness? The question I would ask you is, who do you turn to when things aren't going your way and life feels out of control. What God desires from all of us is that we turn to him first in all things, good or bad, celebrations and struggle. My situation has been hard and I'm not gonna minimize it, um, but probably what makes it even harder is I'm very independent and self-reliant. So when things are out of control, I really struggle. And you know what? I bet I'm not alone in that. I bet there are a few of you going, I get that. I know exactly where you're at. But what he's been teaching me is I need him. I need his presence. I need his power. I need his care. I need his comfort. I need his strength. And the list goes on and on and on. And you know what? These past few weeks... I know I could not have accomplished the things that I accomplished without being dependent on God. So I go, He gave me a story for tonight as I'm going to be teaching on a life of dependence. He brought me to my knees, and this is really hard to say, and I'm going to well. But I was in such a bad place that week that Derek was traveling. And there were times, and I know you can identify with this, there were times the only thing I had in me was to speak the name of Jesus, because there's power in his name. And I would just lay there on the couch in pain, going, Jesus, Jesus, just come help me. And that's where he wants us every single day. He wants every single one of us at his feet, going, I need you, Jesus. If we are to grow spiritually and in faith and as followers of Jesus, we should embrace that. We must acknowledge and embrace the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in us. Our spiritual transformation flows out of something, it's point one I want to show you, that Jerry Bridges referred to as dependent responsibility. And that means we are responsible or active as we seek to pursue holiness. And holiness is that change and, and just growing. And, and as Heather said earlier, taking on the qualities of Christ, looking more like him. And at the same time, we have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to apply the power of Christ in our hearts and enable us to do this, his will. And this will be modeled well in the life of David, as we will see here in a few minutes. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. All of this means nothing without your presence. We want to hear your voice tonight, Lord. We want you to work in our hearts. I ask for your help and clear communication of your word tonight. We just give this all to you. Amen. So we're going to be looking at the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. So if you want to open your Bibles there, I'll have the verses on the screens as well. But I want to summarize verses 1 through 3. And I've got a picture that you can put the picture up, Patty, if you would like, on the Valley of Ella. I like visuals. When they start describing where everything is, I'm like, what, huh? And all these different places. So I like visuals. So this is, you know, if you don't like it, sorry. <laughs> it helps me. <laughs> okay, so the Philistines had gathered their armies for war and sent them inland to the valley of Ella, threatening the Israelite tribes in the hill country of Judah. And the valley of Elah was strategically important as a corridor from the coastal Philistine cities up to the center of the land of Judah and its cities, Bethlehem and Hebron. So you can go to the next picture. The Philistines had set up camp between Azekah and Soho in the hills on the south side of the valley and the Israelites are encamped in the hills on the north side of the valley. And only a dry creek bed separates them. The Israelites now must prevent the Philistines from moving up the valley farther to protect the rest of Judah. This land had been promised to them by God. And the hills on either side of the valley, just remember this, because I think this is important for later, are very steep. Okay? So we're going to pick up reading in verse four. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, he will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day, I defy the armies of Israel give me a man and let us fight each other on hearing the philistines words Saul and all the israelites were dismayed and terrified for 40 days the philistine came forward every morning and every evening took his stand so right out of the shoot goliath is referred to as a champion And translated, it literally means man in between. The champion is a man who steps out between the battle line and single combat. So single, one person. So you have one Philistine representative and one Israelite representative. And honestly, they do this to prevent bloodshed, because think of the way that they went into combat. Very different than today. And there is, it's gruesome. There's lots of life that is lost during combat. The other thing to remember is, earlier I said the hills were steep. So if one of the armies decided to attack, what it would take for them to get down, to get to the other side, they would be extremely vulnerable to the other army. So it just wasn't wise. In verses 4 through 7, we're given a very detailed description of the physical stature of this Philistine Goliath. Along with the armor and the weapons he was equipped with, and we don't want to miss the importance of that detail. So Goliath was six cubits in a span on the conservative side because everyone has their you know calculations for what that is. It was probably nine feet and nine inches, nine and a half feet. It said he had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing. 5,000 shekels, which is equivalent to 125 pounds. I was thinking about this. That would be like carrying a small woman wrapped around your torso. I'm like, that's a lot of weight on just your torso. So he has protective wear on his legs, and he carries a javelin on his back, and the iron point of his spear, it said weighed six shekels, 600 shekels. That's about 25 pounds just on the end of the spear the point he also had a shield that was probably rectangular and it helped to provide more body coverage so here's a picture of what he may have looked like okay so nine and a half feet tall and he's saying one of you need to come out here and fight me this man was huge and his armor and weapons were state of the art so there is no doubt he's intimidating right Thus, the scripture says Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So, I want to focus on Goliath for a moment. What does he represent in this story? I believe he gives us an example of point number two dependence on self and things. He and others, both his people and even the Israelites, had a very high regard for Goliath's stature, his abilities, and his weapons. This is an example of confidence in self and things. But 2 Corinthians 3 5 says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Well, both Goliath and the Philistines in general had rejected God. So, what happens when we are dependent on ourselves or things or others? Well, We place our hope in who and what we depend on most, don't we? So what happens when who and what we've placed our hope in lets us down or disappoints us? I don't know about you, but I become resentful. And what I have experienced personally is when I place my hope in myself, I become very resentful in myself, but I take it out on everyone else, right? You just... You take it right with you and you lash out. And also, when we become overconfident in ourselves, we let our guard down. We become vulnerable and not a healthy vulnerable that we talk about in the church. It's where we're exposed, right? And we often don't see a threat coming at us because we got a little lazy. So we'll see how this unfolds in the story. So we're going to continue on, but I want to summarize the next verses. So David was, he had seven brothers. He is the youngest. Um, His three oldest brothers were serving under under Saul at this battle site. So David is probably about 15 years old, and he had spent most of his days tending to his flock of sheep. So his father sends him with food to check on his three older brothers who are serving in the Israelite army. And as he arrives, it was that time of day for Goliath to come out and taunt the Israelites. Remember, Goliath had been doing this for 40 days, over a month, twice a day, every day. So Israel needed a champion, and they would have probably been looking to Saul, right? Saul is the king, and Heather told us earlier that he was chosen because he was handsome, but also because he was very tall. So he would have been the likely representative, but the scripture said what? He was dismayed and terrified. So let's read on in verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will we be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So the Israelites are having a conversation with him, and they're responding to his question. And then in verse 28, When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came only to watch this battle. Who had been watching? Was it David or Eliab for 40 days as this is all going on? I think this is a really good example of resentment. Eliab had placed probably some... uh, Uh, trust in himself, maybe Saul. Regardless, he was disappointed, and what's he doing? He's taking it out on his little brother. I guess that's what little siblings are for, and I'm the youngest of six, so I know. So Saul was informed of what David had said to the Israelites, so he, he sent for David. And in verse 32, it says, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are a little boy with no combat experience, and he, Goliath, has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine." So Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul's been made aware of these conversations, and he sends for David. And and David tells him, I'll go and fight the Philistine. And Saul kind of gives him a reality check. Really? You're going to fight the Philistine? But David doesn't accept that, right? He he shares the preparation that God had been doing during his time uh, in the wilderness. And um, he presents his experience, right? That what he had been, he'd been battling lions and sheep. And then he acknowledges that the God who delivered him from the paw of the lion and bear will also deliver him today. How could he be so confident? Where did his confidence come from? Because David was dependent on God. His faith in God was convincing, right? Right? I love that he basically says to Saul, hey, I've got skills, I proved it, but I put my trust in God. Isn't that pretty cool? I like that he does that. David refers to Goliath as this uncircumcised Philistine, and he uses that word uncircumcised, which basically means Goliath and all of the Philistines had rejected God, and they were outside the covenant of God. So let's consider what we know about David, and not just in this text. He was a shepherd boy who faithfully tended to his sheep. He wrote about half of the Psalms. And as you read them, you realize the great love and reverence he had for the Lord. Spend some time in the book of Psalms. You begin to see his heart, and you see the very intimate relationship, the intimate friendship he had with the Lord. He walked humbly though he was the second and greatest king of Israel. He was an ancestor to Jesus himself, and he's listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. And he is described by God himself as a man after his own heart. David is a beautiful example of putting trust in God. So, number three, he models for us dependence on God. David also loved God's law, even when he broke the law. Remember, David had made lots of mistakes, right? He committed adultery, he murdered, um, he never dealt with the sins of his children. So he was far from perfect, which we can all relate, right? But he was quick to repent and ask for forgiveness and always to turn toward the Lord And his heart was always bowed to God, even when he had to suffer the consequences of his sin. And I think that's the part we don't like, right? We don't like to embrace that in our lives. I don't know about you, but I don't always. We're kind of conditioned in the culture to self-protect. We're conditioned to hide things. And we're conditioned to present ourselves as something we're not. But when we open ourselves to God, And we describe that as really yielding or surrendering when you hear that term. God is able to bring healing and health into those broken, painful areas. He redeems us, just as he redeems David over and over again. I think there's another important lesson for all of us in the next verses where we read Saul, Saul tries to dress David in his armor. So he's like, okay, you're going to battle, put all my stuff on, right? And in verse 39, David's response is, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in hand approached the Philistine I think there's something here we don't want to miss if we are fully trusting God and dependent on him we can't try to put on someone else's armor right we must believe that God will equip us for the things that he is inviting us into and again we see Saul as an example of putting his trust in something other than God so one of my main responsibilities here on staff um, is women's ministry pastor. And years back, um, I was happily supporting two of our pastors. I loved it. Loved my job. I had no idea what God was preparing for me. And the previous women's pastor, who you're going to hear from tomorrow, Penny Meyer, um, she, I supported her, and she's a wonderful example as a woman after God's own heart. And she's been just an amazing mentor and support uh, for me. So as Penny stepped out of her position, and I assumed um, the position, I had a friend who is actually here tonight, and I don't know if she'll remember this, but she gave me a word. And you know when someone speaks something to you, and it's like, bam, it goes really deep, and you go, oh, that had power on it? That, That meant something. That was from God? That's what this felt like. And she said to me, Vicki, there is space for you here. Let me say that again. There is space for you here. And I believe that is a word for everyone here tonight. There is space for you and you and you and you and all of you in this room, youngest to eldest. There is space for you here. So don't get caught up comparing yourselves or striving to be something that you're not. Know that God has a place for you here. Psalm 139 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. As you embrace that psalm, you need to remember that God has a very special plan for you. And it's for here, right now. He, before you were even birthed, he had plans for you and he delighted in you and he absolutely adored what he created in you. And he wants us to stand on his truth and claim victory over the lies of the enemy and victory over any division that the enemy wants to create between us. And I want you to receive that word there is space for you here. Heather and I have been very intentional about standing up here together because there is space for her and there's space for me. And that's for all women in this church. Okay, so we're going to go back to the text. So David goes out to the battle to battle the Philistine with his staff, sling, and five stones in his bag. So we're going to pick up on 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will, will know that there is a God in Israel. All of those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the Lord for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, probably the only place on him that was exposed that had a deadly impact. Impact the stone sank into his forehead and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Did you hear the confidence in what he said? I was like, whoa! How was David able to go to battle? This giant with such confidence and conviction and then to have victory over him. I think it's partly reflective in his psalm, 25. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Give me in, guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. David put his trust in God. His dependency on God flowed out of this personal friendship, that intimacy he had with God. During the time when he, he spent with um, God in the fields, just tending to his sheep, in the mundane, he learned to trust God. He was familiar with God. He had a personal Relationship with God, and he loved God's law. He was the only one who was not terrified by this giant warrior. He was actually offended by him because Goliath had defied the armies of the living God. He had such clarity that no one else had. And even though God had given him skills, right, to kill the lions and bears and protect his sheep, he still chose to put his trust in God, not himself. So I look back and I go, what do these two characters really represent in this story? Goliath provides us with an example of putting our trust in ourselves or things. And you know what I think he represents? Sin. Sin. Sin is anything that separates us from God, the things we choose to tur- that turn us away from God. It may be our uncontrollable anger or self-pity or jealousy or maybe codependency on people or alcohol or drugs or even shopping, for goodness sakes. It may be lust or sexual immorality. It comes out in full armor against you almost daily, and it dares you to try to stand against it. And it's very easy to feel powerless against this giant, that giant of sin. Sin robs us of our freedom and our spiritual growth. It robs us of hope and joy in the Lord. David, on the other hand, provides us with an example of putting our trust in God. He was a representative for the Israelites to battle Goliath. God provided them with a champion in David. He was a legal representative for his people, and I think he represents or rather points us to Christ, our Savior. See, David had victory over Goliath, but Christ conquers death and proclaims victory over all sin forever. So who is our true champion? Jesus is. Hebrews 11 talks about the great heroes of faith and David is identified there as one of the heroes along with many others. And as they name these different individuals, each verse begins with, by faith, they were able to do what they did but I want to look at what follows right behind that in Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance and the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross Scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The only reason David and all the others are listed as these great heroes is because of Jesus, it's because of his grace for us. They had a close relationship with God, and they were dependent on God. David's example points us to Christ. In Jesus, we have been given a champion to overcome the giant of sin and reconcile us back to God. Our dependence on God flows out of our relationship with him. And when we put our hope in God, he enables us to do things that we could never do on our own. And if we are to grow spiritually, we must open ourselves up to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Will you stand with me?